The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in the following program belong solely to the host and guest and do not necessarily reflect those of this radio station, our parent company, advertisers, or affiliates. Welcome to Sharing Our Stories. We share stories of support for individuals in recovery from substance misuse and mental health-related issues. There are numerous pathways to recovery, and each week we welcome powerful leaders and role models who have struggled in drug and or alcohol addiction, have found a pathway to recovery, and who thrive as positive community members with an ongoing vision of success. Join us as we share our experiences, strength, and hope. When the world says, give up, hope whispers. Try it one more time. Welcome back to Sharing Our Stories. My name is Slim, along with Tomas Hernandez of Tribe Recovery Homes, and our guest today, Aubrey Lavizzo. I still said it wrong. I knew I was... Lavizzo. Lavizzo. That's right. There we go. Aubrey Lavizzo, who I knew over and over was going to give me a hard time about this. But if you're just tuning in to Sharing Our Stories, welcome. This program is about addiction and recovery. And we hope that uh, by sharing these stories of addiction and recovery, we can help somebody out there um, find their pathway to recovery because there's a lot of different pathways and there's no one specific way. And uh, today we'll hear from Aubrey. But before we get to Aubrey, who I have a feeling this is going to probably be the, the, the craziest episode of sharing our stories just because of Aubrey. So before we get, okay, go. Before we get, uh, before we get right to Aubrey, Tomas here from Tribe Recovery Homes. Dude, you've been in, in Vegas over and over and over. And tell everybody what you're doing in Vegas, bro. Man, uh, we got a great situation in Vegas. It's called Tribe Sin City. Doing the same thing we did in Denver. Um, growing and expanding. Uh, the community in Clark County has just welcomed, welcomed us in. Pull that mic Crazy. in by you. It's been, uh, it's been a great journey. I mean, whew, I mean I've been, covered almost six states in 45 days. You know, uh, wife was a trooper, kept up with about three of them. So we're, we're, uh, we're doing well. Uh, it's just, uh, helping people on a mass scale. You know, I'm really, really excited to hear our guest tonight. Cause he was one of the first people I seen when I walked into a 12 step room. That's either good or bad. You, you gauge that after the story, <laughs> but you know, it, it helped me a lot, you know, him uh, and, uh, our clinical director of, and actually now one of my business partners in this journey, um, Osvaldo Cabral, um, I see they were some of the first gentlemen that I seen in those rooms that were very, very impactful to me and made me understand that uh, recovery is real. It's one day at a time. You have to work for this. You have to do the work and you have to be present in, in the rooms. And I would never, I would be forever grateful for that, for that leadership. But like I said, we're about to hear a story and some things that lead you might not lead the other person, but it led me. <laughs> this is my turn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love this guy already. Mahai, our guest from Denver, Colorado, Audrey Aubrey. Oh <laughs> Aubrey just butchering. Just butchering this today. First off, I like to get a tissue because Tomos made me cry. <laughs> I'm going to go get you tissues. Aubrey. I would cry. Welcome to the Audrey. program. Aubrey. Aubrey. I'll tell you a funny story. Aubrey. When I was in Albuquerque, I was supposed to introduce the main speaker, who is my sponsor. And they said, well, Aubrey L., please come up. Well, can somebody find her so that she could come up to the microphone? And I was like walking up and I was like, they're like, could you, are you Aubrey? They didn't, they thought I was a woman. Well, they didn't think I was a woman. They thought I should be because of my name. Anyway, so 
We're on the radio right now. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I'm an addict. My name is Aubrey. It's not a funny story, I guess. So, um, <laughs> so Ozzy is the clinical <laughs> the director, right? Yeah. Okay. Hello, Ozzy. He called me before this to wish me um, that I failed. So here I am. Um, <laughs> I start with my journey. My journey began. Um, wow. Started. I started. I had my first drink of beer. Maybe it was just a sip backwash, actually. But it was, um, I think I was like three. And it's funny because <clears throat> my dad showed me all these videos when I was a kid. And I'm, I guess uh, I had a beer can in my hand and they were like trying to get it, me to give it back to him. And I kept crying and asking for that back like it was a bottle or something. But I always hated the taste of alcohol. So, um, But I grew up around alcohol. My, my grandmother and my grandfather owned a, a bar. And... Um, so I never really considered alcohol to be a drug. Um, that being said, um, I had a weak stomach, and so I was always looking for something that could change my mood that wasn't alcohol. I was like, everybody else was enjoying it, and um, for whatever reason, I would just always get sick and throw up. So when I was in high school, I, I had my first um, drug, which was mar- my first drug other than alcohol, which was marijuana. And immediately I felt like, okay, I felt normal, which is weird because, you know, um, I thought I would feel different. I felt like I was somebody, not like somebody, but like I felt like a part of something, you know, and it was easy to join because all I had to do was smoke the same thing that everybody else was doing. So um, I continued to use um, all sorts of things in high school. And then I went to school in New Orleans and <clears throat> New Orleans is really a great place to sober up. So, uh, yeah, no, I, I went, I moved there and because um, my grandparents are from Louisiana and I um, I proceeded to continue drinking and, and drugging and doing all that stuff. Um, I joined a band um, right when I was in college. And then when I got out of college, I decided I was going to be a famous musician. And I was a musician and I traveled around a lot. And, you know, um, at that point, I realized that um, smoking marijuana and drinking and everything were, were – I actually met this woman in Kentucky, Louisville, Kentucky. And um, I was at sort of a low point in my life. Um, uh, i just broken up with this woman, um, or she had just broken up with me. And um, so I was really kind of upset about that. And I remember – she said, well, let me tell your fortune. You know, like she was going to read my palms or something. I was like, whatever. And she read my palms and she goes, well, I can tell you two things about your life. I was like, okay. She goes, one is music is your salvation. And number two, you need to be sober. <laughs> and I was like not even drunk or anything at the time. I just finished playing. And I was like, that was weird. I don't even have a problem with alcohol or, you know, any, and um, I'll never forget that. And then, you know, um, after, you know, I, we, that band broke up and I, I moved back to Colorado and I became a school teacher and um, in my late 20s. And I had a friend of mine who was um, worked in the schools with me. And um, man, this is live on the radio. I hope no parents that I used to teach are out there, whatever. Anyway, so um, yeah, so like I, I, um, I had, I got rid of music because I wanted to be um, something social and acceptable, right? And that was the first real sacrifice I feel like I made to 
uh, who I was as an individual, as a person, right? Because I always wanted to play music. It was one of those things that I could do. Um, and time would, there was no such thing as time. I don't know if you've ever experienced anything like that. So um, <clears throat> I, le- I learned, I picked up a guitar when I, I was playing a broomstick for most of my life. And my parents finally believed, I, you know, like I was one of those kids that I want to do this. And they, they, I would get that and I wouldn't want to do that anymore, you know. And But I always asked for a guitar. So I finally got one, I think when I was 17. And then when I was 18 years old, I, I got like this other guy I was playing in, in college with and um, – immediately I got obsessed. Right. And I started playing like 12 hours a day. And so like in a couple of years I was really good. Right. And so, um, it just became one of those things that I was in love with. And I say that to say that like, um, so I played in bands and, um, and for whatever reason, like when, when that relationship ended, um, and I, I found myself at like 26 years old in new Orleans and, and, still waiting tables and everything. And, and I was like, ah, this isn't, I need to do something with my life. Right. Cause I, for whatever reason, I didn't think I was doing anything with my life. I came back to, to Denver and I, I got this brochure from Denver University, University of Denver. And it said, you can be a teacher in nine months. I was like, that's pretty quick, you know, and I don't have to go back to school. So I did that. And, um, <clears throat> I was a really good teacher, um, for a couple of years. And I was teacher of the year actually. And I had a friend who was a paraprofessional there, and he was actually doing a little um, selling on the side of um, that white substance. And uh, I start, it started out that, like, I started doing that on Fridays after work. We'd get together and we'd commiserate over the school week and, you know, like all the, the traumas and tribulations and, and the joys of teaching. And so it got to be pretty fun. And so I was, like, on Friday nights for a while. And you know how that goes. And it was Friday and Saturday. And it was Friday and Saturday and you know, Thursday night was like the beginning of the weekend. And then it was like every night. And I was fortunate that that was like the end of my third year. And so I said, I need to get away from doing drugs. So it's Colorado is the problem. So I'm going to go to Atlanta because there's probably no drugs. There's definitely no cocaine in Georgia. Right. So I moved to um, Georgia in Atlanta and I met, I had a cousin um, God bless her. She's no longer with us. Um, but she, um, I told her, you know, I was like, I'm moving here. I'm going to, I got a job teaching there immediately. Um, uh, and uh, she said I could stay with her. And, um, you know, she was a former addict, I was told. And she's, and I told her, you know, I'm, I was just getting off of cocaine and I was really trying something new. She goes, and this to me is like, I guess I was just really clueless at the time. She goes, well, I have something that you can use. It's not cocaine. It's called rock. <laughs> I was like, well, that sounds good. I don't know what I was thinking. Like, I, I you know, and I smoked that <laughs> stuff. Not even shit. I don't even. Anyway, I spoke that stuff for the first time. And um, the first thing that came out of my mouth was more. Right. And from there on, my life was just whew, you know, I was, I guess I was 30 when I moved there. Um, and I somehow managed to get clean for six months <clears throat> through another through a fellowship um, CA. And I remember thinking when I had that six months, I was like, well, I'm just going to go every year to pick up a key tag or whatever. And of course that never happened. And I, um, I started using again and I, but in that six months I bought a house, right? And um, I don't know how I managed to keep that house for even a year, but in 
in that time, I managed to lose. I had a girlfriend. I managed to lose a car, a girlfriend, a career, and um, basically everything I'd worked for, you know, in like one night because uh, I was um, – it was crazy because I could always stay clean in the summertime because I could get, you know, for me, when I, what I was taught as addiction is about self-centeredness, obsession, and compulsion, right? And I didn't realize that when I was in the summertime, I could study to be a better teacher. And so my, all my obsession and drive would be around becoming a better teacher. And so I became such a good teacher that when the school year would start, I had like literally this like organism and it would function, you know? And so I really could like kind of sit back and... um so I couldn't, they never could fire me because they, they couldn't understand like why my students were doing so well, but they, but I did have like a lot of absences. And so, um, they said that, um, they're going to give me the opportunity to resign and, and get some help for myself. They, they thought I told them that I, you know, they didn't know I had a drug problem. They, they thought I was depressed and I couldn't get my meds right, which, was true. I really couldn't get my meds right. You know, <laughs> at that time I thought, you know, I couldn't get the balance right. But, um, so I was able to, um, withdraw from, uh, resign. And then I was supposed to get into some help and then I would go back to, to teaching in the next year. And so, um, I came home for Christmas and I remember I was, we went to the movie theater. Um, it's now closed down as a continental movie theater. And I grabbed like at that time, they had, like, a bunch of free candy when you'd walk in, and it was, like, the honor system. <laughs> Whatever that was when I was using, right? And I remember grabbing a whole stack of that, stuffing it in my pockets, and my mom goes, you got to pay for that? I was like, yeah, or whatever. And I put it in my pocket. She goes, you're going to go to jail one day. I'm like, whatever. And so we went, and um, she ended up, you know, paying for it behind me or whatever. But um, I didn't really – I was smoking all my money, so I didn't really have money to pay for it anyway, which is crazy. Um she said, you're going to really pay for that. You have, you don't, you're not very moral. <laughs> you know what I mean? And um, so I went back, and um, I remember I was supposed to go pick up my final check on Monday. And it was I went back on a Friday, and I smoked all weekend. And I, um, I was with this guy, and he said, listen, um, we got to get some more dope. And I was like, oh, I was like two in the morning and I'm watching a show about the prison system and I'm going, yeah, this doesn't look like a good idea. He's like, no, we got to get some more. Um, I'll do it. I'll rob a store. And I was like, ah, this just feels wrong. You know, I'm, I'm looking at this prison show <laughs> on TV and he's like, no, I'll do it. In my head, I was like, okay, he's going to do it. Not me. Right. But I'll drive. So we drove and it was like a quick trip. I remember, this is how bad it was. If you're familiar with it, well, if you're familiar with Colorado, there's Glendale, right? Colorado Boulevard, which is like probably the worst place to drink and drive. If you were ever doing that when I was a kid, it was the worst because there's police who just drive up and down that street. And like Cobb Parkway was where we decided to rob this store, which was literally like there was a police station like a few down and the pots would just drive back and forth because there was nothing else going on. So what? I, we all, what was another great thing is in my car, I had, I was on fumes anyway, right? So I pulled into the back of the store and he ran into the store and, um, I sit in there and I was like, it was taking him a while. And I was like, I should just drive off. I don't feel good about this. I should just leave. He came running out 
Now, he's about my height. We're both wearing green sweatshirts with hoodies and everything. It's about my complexion. He jumps in the car. He goes, go. And I was like, what? And he's like, we did it. Let's go. And so we started driving. But I couldn't. I needed. He's like, go down the back street. So I was like going down the back street. But me, the, the, the yellow light saying I was gas was blinking, right? And um, I was like, well, how much did we get? And he was like, $33, you know? And then I was like, well, what did you do? And I guess he put a quarter on the counter. And he asked for change for a quarter. She opened the registry, jumped over, and he took, like, the money out. Thank God he didn't have, like, a knife or anything, or my life would have been totally different. So I, I had to find a gas station immediately, and so we turned around because I couldn't go. I couldn't – if we are going to – I was going to run out of gas in these back roads, and plus we had to get gas with that – probably spend $3 on gas and spend the rest on whatever. And um, we turned back on the road, and I remember we were driving um, – down this back, kind of other back road, and this cop passed us. And we kind of looked at him, and then we just kept driving, and he kind of turned around. And I was like, okay, that was weird. So we got up to the next light, and there's a cop over here and a cop over there. And I'm like, ah, this is, there's a lot of cops here tonight, right? Sunday night. And so I took a right turn, and we went to this place called South Atlanta Road. By the time we got to South Atlanta Road, there was three cops here, there was four cops here, there was three cops in front of us, and like three cops behind us, right? And it was a red light. And I remember just going, oh, man, this, <laughs> he's like, this can't be a coincidence, right? And as soon as it turned green, I was like, whoop, everything lit up, everything. And they told me, they told me to, um, we pulled through the light, pull over, driver, whatever. I'll never forget this. He goes, stick your hands out the window. <laughs> I put my hands out the window. And he goes, I heard him say to his partner, wait a minute, is he white? Because I guess he's like, <laughs> And I never wanted to be white so bad in my life, you know what I mean? And I was like, oh. And he goes, get out of the car, sir. And I got on, and he's like, and we got on the ground, and they, you know, and I had my first, like, experience on my knees right there because he put me on handcuffs, and, you know, and there's all these cars here, you know, chicken-necking us and everything. And, and um, so I ended up going to, um, to jail for that for, like, uh, it wasn't very long. It was like, it felt like a long time. I was 18 days, right? But um, I was listening to jailhouse lawyers and they're like, oh, you're going down the road. It's, you know, it's over for you. And I remember just like, and my parents wouldn't let me out of jail. And I kept crying and saying that Bubba was picking on me and stuff. And <laughs> which was a lie, but I was trying to make it really bad. And they were like, so what? Blah, blah, blah. You know, and um, so I got out of jail. As soon as I got out of jail, um, I had to I had to sign a power of attorney over to my younger brother, um, and thank God for him. You know, he he took care of my car and my house, and they took I was able to sell it to pay for for treatment, or whatever. And um, I went to Harmony here in the mountains, and then um, they sent me to Florida to Delray Beach, California, or California, Delray Beach, Florida, and um, and I went to this halfway house there, and I was clean for like. I was like 11 months. And I huh? What happened? It's called the Lighthouse. Yeah. It's closed down now. They were doing some shady stuff. And that was my excuse for why I used. Because they weren't doing shady stuff, you know. But that was a lie also. So um, they actually were doing shady stuff. But so um, I was, um, I remember like I had a sponsor and I was going to meetings every day. And and, uh, it didn't matter which meeting I was going to. And, um, uh, it didn't matter which fellowship, and I I ended up um, 
like the Broncos were playing. It was November, and I'm a huge Bronco fan. And they were like, one of the rules of the halfway house was like, you can go and you can leave for work, but you got to come back for meetings unless you have work. And you definitely can't go to sports bars, definitely no strip clubs. All that stuff was out. Well, it started that like on, Bron- the, on Sunday, the Broncos would play, and I would say that I was going to work, and I'd go watch the Broncos in a sports bar. So I'm, I'm saying this for a point. So like later um, when I started going to strip clubs, and then I relapsed coming back from one of those things um, one night um, – because it baffled me because I was going to meetings every day and I was and um, I had a sponsor and I thought I was working the steps. And so it baffled me, like, how could I use? And I was doing all that. And I rec- that's when I realized I wasn't living an honest program. I was lying the whole time. And so, like, the important part for me being honest at that point is, like, I was allowing, like, little slips in my program to happen. So, you know, I, I got um, – but I got kicked out of the halfway house. And I remember they put all my stuff in, like, these plastic bags – garbage bags and I went up to the beach and um and then a, a friend of mine who worked at the halfway house called me and said no you can come stay with my girlfriend and you know you have to pay her $500 a month but you can stay there and so I, I decided I was going to give Delray another shot and um I was there for like two days I had my hair braided at this time point in time and um she wouldn't give me money for anything so but I, I wanted to use really bad and I remember saying I really need to get my hair braided can I have some of my money? So she gave me like 25 bucks. And I remember going to, to get my hair braided and I started taking it out, right? My hair. So it was like half out, right? As I was like, and I had a bicycle and I was riding and I bought some, some stuff, right? They called it the gator there, right? And I bought some and I started smoking there and I forgot about my hair. So I was literally, it started to rain. So like half my head was unbraided and the other half and I was riding around on this bicycle and, um, I ran and then I actually went back to this place I was working at and I stole like $20 out of a out of the the payee box or whatever and I was on camera and I remember thinking that um I've I've already started to rob again and everything like that and so you know my boss had, was a friend of mine in recovery she had a little bit more time and I thought she had kept calling my phone I thought she was worried about me so I was like you know, I didn't want to answer because I didn't want to make her worried. And, and, but I kept using and I finally ran out of, you know, of dope and ended up checking my message. She says, you better run. I called all the cops they're looking for. And I was like, oh, man. So I just started freaking out. And I thought I was going to just ride my bike from Delray Beach. And I was going to run back to I don't know what I was thinking. Right. Just crazy. And um, I ended up just going back to the beach and sitting down there. And, I, you know, I remember like women crossing the street the next day and, and, um, and looking at it going like, this is not where I thought my, I thought I would be on a beach one day. You know what I mean? But I thought it would be like living on a beach or something. And, um, I remember just sitting on the ocean and, uh, sit and I pulled down there cause there was, you know, sand was in my pants and everything. And I was smelling horrible. And, um, I basically like pulled this top off a trash can, one of those square trash cans. And I got, I sat on it, the the top of the trash can, and um, I was, like, looking at the ocean, and I remember saying, God, like, they say that you're greater than anything, and if you're greater than this, I need some help, right? And um, it was crazy. Like, for whatever reason, I don't even, I don't even know how my phone had juice in it anymore, but I, um, I picked it up, and I called my dad the next day. And my dad was, like, one of those dads that was, like, not an enabler. 
Like, you made your bed, lie in it. Like, he was the one that was like, my family wanted to bail me out of jail. And he was like, no, he needs to sit there and learn. And, you know, I hated him at the time for that, right? And if he's watching right now, he knows I love him for this, for, for sticking to that. But it was crazy because uh, I called and, and um, he said, yes, son. And I said, dad, I, I used again. And he goes, uh-huh. And I was like, um... He's like, okay. And I was like, I don't know what to do. I need help. Right. And um, he goes, okay. And he like, just like the prodigal son. And like, so there's these, these Marriott and like these really tall hotels, like on the beach, right on the other side of the street. And he put me on like one of the top floors of the hotel. And he like ordered me like this great room service, like a steak dinner and all this stuff. And um, I slept really good. And, um, he called a limo to come to Delray Beach, which is two hours from Miami, to come pick me up and then take me to the airport in Miami, right? And um, which was like, I couldn't believe that, right? I was like, he didn't even say anything. You know, he was just like, okay. And, um, and so he picked me up from the airport and I remember just like looking at him and he looked at me like, he's like, I love you, son. And he, we got my bags and everything. And I remember thinking, the look in his eye was like, this is my son, I love him, but I'm gonna accept him for who he is, right? This is just gonna be his life. And I remember going, man, I am, you know what I mean? I was like, cause I was always one of those addicts that thought I'll eventually get this. Like, this is a phase, you know, this crack thing is just a phase. I'll just do it for a couple more. I'm just gonna do 20 more, 20 more dollars worth. And, um, and it was the first time in my life that like, I was like, you know, like, this is, like, really who I am, you know? And um, I guess it was my first admission of not, like, that I was an addict, but that really what an addict could be towards the end. And it didn't even get to the bottom. And so came back. I, I, I went in Denver, and I couldn't find a meeting. I would go to York Street, and they told me I couldn't, you know, I couldn't say I was an addict. And so I was, like, really having a hard time. And this friend of mine told me, you should go to this um, meeting and 33rd and 15, Gilpin in the hood, right on, it's called Surrender to Win. And look for this guy, MJ, right? And, and, and um, he's looking for you. And, you know, it was like around Christmas time. And I said, um, I was like, okay. So I went down there and uh, it was weird. Like I saw MJ, right? <laughs> and he was smiling a lot. You know, he has big teeth and that Amazing. big bald head. Yeah, I know. But that's not my impression of when I first saw him. And he kept smiling at me, right? And I was like, this dude's weird, man. I'm not talking to him. So I didn't talk to him. <laughs> I got this other guy's number. And I got, but my mom, stepmom, I was staying with her and my dad. And um, she had like, uh, I didn't have a cell phone, you know. They, had the, they were using landlines still, which they still have, which I think is funny. But it was one of those landlines that when you call out, it registers on the caller ID as unknown or, you know, it won't give you the number. So I called him and I was like, I assumed that he just would get the number and he never called me back. And I was like, bump him, you know, he didn't, you know. So I was finally like, um, <laughs> I saw like MJ at the next meeting and I was finally like, okay, this smiley guy, whatever. And I said, hey, um, I need a sponsor. You be my sponsor? He goes, eh. <laughs> He's like, let me ask you something. He's like, what is addiction? Oh, that's easy. You know, it's like, I put a drug in my body and I can't stop using. Come on, you know, I'm an addict. I need help, right? And he's like, that's not what an addict is. I'm like, listen, can you sponsor me? And I was like, tell you what, go home, do the first, look in the first step of basic text. 
Look up what addiction is. Call me tomorrow and tell me what it is, right? But I was so broken. I was 34 years old at the time, and I was staying at my dad's house in the back room. Now, granted, I had a, had a house, right? But I'm staying at my dad's house. So I was like, I got to get out of here, right? Dad, living at dad's is not like living at mom's. Dad wouldn't let me sleep in. <laughs> you, know, you know, he had to work right away. Even he didn't care. He didn't believe in the withdrawal thing. Like two days after work, the love you son thing was like hard love again. Like go out and get a job and everything. And so I was like, I got to do whatever I can. So I did the assignment. I called MJ and I said, oh, this is what it is. And he said, yeah. So we talked about it. And I remember when he said an addiction, addict is, an addiction is like self-centeredness of spirit, obsession of the mind physical compulsion of the body right and i was like ding like this light bulb went on and i remember just like my eyes glazing over and i was like i've been an addict my whole life right because i started thinking about like being like a kid like you know in seventh grade or seven years old and going to celebrity sports center when it used to be here and and um stealing dimes out of my mom's purse to go play skee-ball so i could win tickets to win like prizes. And I was supposed to be at swim team. Which I, I hate a swim team. It's like chlorine and the speedos. And I was the best at like backstroke, except that I could win until I got to the wall. And I was scared I was going to hit my head and I would stop, you know? And so I'd never, so I'd steal the, the dimes out of her purse. And my brothers would go to swim class and I'd go play ski ball. And I could play ski ball like the rest of the kids. So there wasn't anybody watching us. So it, you know, I'd, um, put the dime in, my balls would come out. I'd look around. I'd take the balls and run in my pocket. I'd run up and throw them all in the 50s. And I'd come back and I just had tons and tons of tickets. I did that and I won like this giant blue dog thing, whatever. And it was, it was, you know, it was just a bunch of wire or whatever. But I identified with like, I kept obsessing about that thing, you know, and then I got it and I wanted something else, you know. And, um, and so that, that connection right there, like, totally changed everything about my recovery because I recognized at that point that like with or without drugs in my body, I was an addict and there was something really like comforting about that because I went to doctors and therapists and they diagnosed me with this and with that and you know, everything from seasonal affective disorder to like, you know, a band, whatever, you know? And, um, I just remember thinking, oh, my God, like, that's it. And he's like, well, that's it, but <laughs> that's what you have. But now you got to, like, deal with it. And that's what we have the steps for, right? And so he really hammered that into me. And I remember doing all, doing everything. And he, he'd be like, he's one of those sponsors. And he'd, he'd work at, um, what's this? Yeah, I'm going to tell a story about Ozzy in a minute, um, <laughs> who's MJ's sponsee right now. Actually, this pardon the interruption. This is a message to Ozzy Cabral out there. So anyway, I'll tell you a story about how I met Ozzy. It's a real quick story. <laughs> Ozzy and I were in jail together for a while. We were cellmates, right? He does not remember me, but it was a great time for me. He was on his stomach all the time, but we had a great time together. And um, I just wanted to say, Ozzy, I really thank you for helping me get through that difficult time. Okay, thanks for the interruption. Okay, back to the real program in progress now. So... <laughs> So MJ uh, would not meet me for step work unless um, he would not meet me to talk to me unless I'd done step work. And so is this, can you put this on TV? I know he's saying something. So, um, so God, he's distracting me even here. Okay. So 
he would say, he would call me and he would say, um, okay, well, I say, I did the step work. And he'd be like, okay, meet me in a meeting. So he'd meet at a meeting. And then I'd go, okay, I'm ready to go over my step work. He goes, well, let's go to this meeting. So I'd go to another meeting and then we'd finally go and we'd do step work. And I did that. He was like, God, you know, I finished. I did like step work every day. Like he'd give me an assignment and I'd go home and I'd just do it. And the reason I did the step work was because it was so cathartic for me, right? I had so much shame from being a school teacher. And I, there's a whole lot of stuff I left out about, you know. I'll just tell you one story. I, I actually didn't have any money for food, right? Because I spent it all on drugs. But we had snack day on Fridays, right? So I love snack day. You know, black kids in the hood, their parents hooked them up with on snack day, right? So it was like chips and chicken wings and all this stuff. So I said, well, it's such a good time. Let's have snack day every day. And so they did. We started having snack day every day, and I would literally eat during that time, you know. And, and then um, I'd fall asleep in my chair. And I remember one time, like, you know, the kids were, like, doing their lessons or whatever. And I remember one time I was, like, this thing was on my nose. Like, oh, what the heck? And there's the assistant principal. And she's, like, uh, you need to come with me, right? And that's when they first started about, they heard about my depression. And I was so depressed I had to fall asleep in class because I couldn't handle it. So... Anyway, so I had a lot of guilt from that kind of stuff, right? And, and um, I laugh about it now, but it was like a lot of like shame around like letting the kids down. And, and, um, and so when I did the step work, like it would ask me questions like, what evidence do you have of your powerlessness? And, you know, give me examples of how your life was unmanageable. And I was like, oh, my God, you know, and, and I could get all this stuff out. And I'd read it, go over with my, you know, with MJ, and he'd be like, yeah, he wasn't judging me or anything. He's like, yeah, and then he'd share what he did. And all of it, you know, what I learned at that point was, like, identification. Like, all these things, like, I did, and I was scared to talk about because I felt like I was the only one that did them. You know, he would talk about what he'd done, and some were, like, worse. It wasn't even a comparison thing. It was just like, yeah. And then at the end of that, he'd say, so what are we going to do differently? You know, and I remember... Like, um, we, we were talking about open-mindedness in a meeting the other day, and like, and I was thinking a lot of my open-mindedness, I, I didn't like meetings before I came this last time, and one of the reasons is because I was dishonest all the time. People would say, it sounds like a little thing, but it's big. People would say, well, how are you doing? I'd be like, I'm great, you know, but I wasn't great. All I wanted to do was get high. I could not, you know what I mean? And, and so when they'd give me information, they'd give me feedback on what I told them. How are you doing? I'm great. Oh, good. You have a sponsor? Yep. Didn't like my sponsor at all. I thought he was BSing me, all this. But I didn't share any of that stuff, right? And then this last time I was at a meeting, and um, there was all these people, and they were, like, sharing about, oh, early, you know, like a bunch of old timers. And they're talking about, that's one guy, old guy was celebrating, like, 20 years and they were like, oh, I remember we used to play softball back in this, you know, whatever time. And, and, um, and they're all kikiing and all this sh- stuff. And um, so um, I remember just being f- pissed because I can say that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's a legitimate word, right? I was pissed, man, because I, um, cause I was going through something. And they were laughing and having a great time. And I, you know, the, they, I kept remembering them saying, Honesty, open mindedness, and willingness. And I said, I'm an addict. My name is Aubrey, and I got to be honest. This is, this is horrible stuff. 
G. Willikers fudge. And I said that. <laughs> and I meant it. You know what I'm saying? We know I what you like, meant. Yeah. yeah. It's like, you full of shoot, you god dog bastards. <laughs> I don't know, whatever. <laughs> anyway, so. Um, FCC, thank you. Yes, that was great. Yeah. great. FCC, thank you to the FCC. Yes, thank you. I'll expect my check for doing good. Um, so, so anyway, I said, I hate this. This is BS. I want to use, but I can't use, but I want to use, and I don't believe you guys, and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, and I was like I'm going out. Like, I just went on this rant, and I was like, oh, this is great, because afterward they're going to kick me out, and they're going to prove that I, I'm not well, right? And I can go use. And everybody started laughing, and kind of people were clapping and stuff. And I was like, what's wrong with these people? And then, like, there, some people chimed in. They're like, thank God you were honest for once. You know, you're sitting there, like, not smiling in the meetings. And I was like, wow. And it felt really good. Like, people actually wanted to talk to me. And I, they were like, well, okay. So you hate it here. Um, what are you doing about it? You know? And um, that was my being open-minded. You know, at that time, I heard about it. And so I started to do more and more work. And, and you know, and then it just kept... Life kept getting better, and I kept doing more work. And, um, and uh, you know, I, um, yeah, the rest of my, my time in recovery has just been almost like, um, like I laugh a lot, right? And, and one of my best friends in the world is, is obviously Ozzy. That story was true, by the way. But um, we, we actually became friends after that. And um, so we, we, we like, I know we like, we drive, especially like when we had like both, like, I don't know, I don't know how much time Ozzy has now. I think he's getting clean tomorrow, but, um, <laughs> anyway, whatever time he says he has, we had like less time then. And, um, but we would laugh all the time and, and people would like some of the old timers would be like, shut up. You know, this is about recovery. This is about, you know, and I would just be so happy to be laughing. Right. Cause everything was so sad all the time. And, but, you know, some people would tell us that. But then, you know, like, like at a couple conventions ago, me and Ozzy were sitting there, still the same, still cutting up during meetings. And um, a couple of people were like, man, we really appreciated you guys laughing and stuff at meetings because we didn't know that, like, recovery could be fun. You know what I mean? And so, in a way, it was like, it was, it felt really good to hear because I know like when I went out, when I first got clean and I was coming to meetings, I had a feeling like, and they had these people had the basic texts or big books or whatever, you know, and I kept thinking, these are like missionaries, like, right. So like, I'm going to go to one of these things and I'd be like, well, you know what I mean? And walking around like so boring. Right. And I'd be like, like, I remember going to, um, okay, I'm not going to mention the fellowship, but they had this thing called the God squad. Right. And there's a bunch of like white guys who were bald and fat and um, no offense, right? I have nothing <laughs> against bald white guys, right? Um, who are fat. And, but so they were all this thing and they're like, you know, if you want what we have, keep coming back, you'll get it. And I was thinking, man, I don't want anything these guys have. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, I'm so screwed up. And, and so that's another reason I went to NA, but like it was because it was so serious, like, like, I know that, like, my rec- the one thing and the only thing that I really take super seriously in my life is, like, Narcotics Anonymous. The one I, now, whatever cat, cat you skin, you do that, right? I just say, find a home and do it. Like, so if you, if you go to the mosque or whatever, I'm not saying there's one, I go to NA, that's what I do. I do not, I'm not a spokesperson for them. They would not hire me, they, but... 
but I'm just saying that's the way I did it to the least of my ability, you know, and I've managed <laughs> to stay clean. So that being said, though, like I don't take recovery as a joke. Like whenever like I'm going through the steps and talking about my experience, strength and hope and helping somebody else, I'm serious. Everything outside of that is like fair game, you know, because I'm powerless over some politics, sport. I still think I have some control over the Nuggets. So, like, you know what I mean? Like, because my wife and I were watching and she was, like, wanting to talk about this. And I was like, don't you know they need me right now? Like, their energy, whatever. So, but still, like, like the, the um, you know, um, but I laugh about tons of stuff, you know. And, and, and more, more about myself and the, some of the dumb things that I've done than anything else because – like, I don't cry a lot. I really do wish I could cry more. I really think I'm, like, missing. I think they call that a sociopath, but I don't think I'm a sociopath. <laughs> no, no. Like, I do, like, feel like crying. I go, oh, here it comes. I know it's coming. And then I'm like, nah, it's just not going to happen, you know? Um, it did happen once in the rooms. Like, I remember, like, thinking that my grandfather was really hard on me, right? And um, we're doing the four-step and I was with my sponsor, uh, and um, and I was complaining. I was like, "Oh, he was such an ass, right?" That's a three-letter word. And and um, <laughs> and and so and I was complaining about him. He had died, right? But I was still getting this out, my resentment, you know. And I was so sad when he died. However, as I was talking, I realized like I was like angry at him. Because he saw something in me that I didn't see. You know what I mean? And I remember I was like going off and I stopped and I started crying and my sponsor was like, yeah, you see? He's like, your, your grandfather loved you, right? And it is like, I was like, I, I wish I could have seen that when he was alive. You know what I mean? Like, I, I know they say, oh, your parents are hard on you, but I didn't realize like all that tough love. I couldn't see behind that veil of like authority. You know what I mean? And so... Like some of the times, like I don't hang out with like people who co-sign anything that I like. I have people that I call that I need. Sometimes you need like camaraderie and like, yeah, you're right. They're, you know, whatever. But when you really need help, I do not need people that are going to be like, you're absolutely right. Like I need people that go, you're way off base. You know, like what you Mm -hmm. did was really wrong. You know what I mean? Because if I don't have that kind of like guidance system in my life, What's the difference when I was using, I had a whole bunch of yes men like, yep, yep. You're like, I mean, I don't know. Like when I remember doing like cocaine and with, it could have been Hitler and I'd have been like, yeah, yeah. When's the next one? Yeah. You did a great job, whatever, you know, and and just to get another one, that's how sick it was, you know, but, um, and that's how I, that's the people I had in my life. And as soon as the drugs were gone, they were gone. Or as soon as the drugs were gone, I was gone, whatever. I was that person too. So now in recovery, like, if you agree with me too soon, I'm like, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, like I have to check my ideas and run them past, you know, people. Now, when I have a really sick idea, you know, like one idea, like counterfeiting money or something like that, like, I will call Ozzy because Ozzy <laughs> will do that and I won't do it because I'm like no way and he'll try it and he'll say it didn't work man and I'll be like you're so sick but I'm so grateful for somebody like that because he'll do all the (laughs) stupid stuff like hire prostitutes and trick himself out and do all those things in recovery that I would never do but I love him because he's trying the little guy he's trying the little spud he is trying to stay clean 
and he is doing it. Like I, I love his, his fiance, girlfriend, wife Tuesday. Cause she supports the little guy. You know, she really looks out for the little guy. And so God bless you, Ozzy. You know, like when we first, he came to the program. Like I was concerned because, you know, I didn't know if we had enough crayons and picture books to really teach him the steps. You know what I'm saying? Like he, he was like a, he was like a spud potato walking around and he would like peck you to death with um, a spoon. Ozzy is on social media right now on our Facebook live. And he says, you sound high. Absolutely. And ladies and gentlemen at Tribe Recovery's Home, she is our clinical director. And, and so that was her. all a joke. <laughs> None of that was true, except for a little piece that I won't share. So, so if you're just catching on here, Mahai, the last 60 seconds of what Aubrey said was all about joking with his best friend who was listening and picking on him. I did not say it was Ozzy C. I said it was Ozzy Danio. Different Ozzy. Different yeah, Ozzy. Different I don't know what Ozzy you're talking different about. Different best friend Ozzy. Different. I, Ozzy's not my best friend. Different acquaintance Ozzy. Yes. Definitely. I, the, your clinical director, I don't know him. Yeah. yeah. Me either. Me either. <laughs> Apparently I thought I did. <clears throat> but anyway, this Ozzy that you guys are talking about, whoever shooting shots like through social media at me, I mean, since I don't know him, I wouldn't do that. That's just not very therapeutic. All right. So. This program is also live on social media, along with being on the radio. Absolutely. So we're reading this directly off of the uh, Facebook Live comments. Ozzy says to give you a UA. Yes. <laughs> I have burned plastic in the past, but I will not tonight, I promise. Um, you know, before we started, I, like, I got your energy before we even came in here to start recording. And I love your energy. I mm-hmm. hope, I'm sorry you agree with that or don't want to agree with that. <laughs> um, don't mean to blow smoke up you. But yeah, no, you have great energy, man, and Thank I knew, you. and I knew that you were going to add some some fun to this. And also, um, Debbie on our Facebook page, she said, "So, so it is so true. Recovery is fun, and that's kind of like your attitude about it." It is. I mean, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't. I mean, that's the truth. Um, I definitely would not be because. I was, I think that in the, in the end of it all, like I wanted to be accepted and liked for who I was. Right. And I, with recovery, it's like the more you are who you are, the more people like, like you, you know what I mean? And that's such a bizarre thing because like, I think that like I have this negative core belief and I think a lot of that, I never want to we on people like say we have this, but like, I know like this, like this negative core belief that says if anybody really got to know me, they wouldn't they wouldn't love me or they wouldn't like me. Right. And then you get up there and you'll talk, like say something that you've gone through or went through. And then people like identify with that and they'll, they'll like embrace you. And I went through that too. And I'm like, wow, that is such a different thing. You know what I mean? But the messed up part is when you go into the regular world and you have a job with normal people and you try to do that and they're like, who are you crazy? So the real, the real world, the real world is still much like the, the world. Right. But like in recovery, it's like, it's this, this really like, it's this, it's this really beautiful, right? You can be you at all times. You can be you. You know, um, what's great about walking into a 12-step meeting is I think the, a sponsor is the most amazing person. You, you think about a person, everybody that's listening, him or her has a job. They have their own addiction. They have all the mess that life brings, but for free, they are going to take the time to have interest in you, to get you well to get you supported and to get you across the road and your in your step work they're going to be a brother or a sister that 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 when you're in need 
can get you to realize what you're truly about as an addict in recovery, how to get clean. Um, I know for myself walking in like Ozzy. Yeah, those are great stories. But, you know, Ozzy is uh, for me. He's something that I wanted. I never seen anybody that's the same uh, ethnic background that I have that ever had an education like that. You know, but still at the same time, crazy as hell and, and, and can cut up, but knows when to be serious. You know, I've been, MJ, yeah, he does have that smile. He still has that smile. I think when he dies, he's going to be catatonic with that <laughs> smile in his gasket. Yeah, and those big pretty teeth, right? Yeah, you know what I mean? And it's, uh, it's, it's a beautiful thing because that's what the 12-step meeting is, that, you know, you're, you're a member when you say you are, and for people like you, Ozzy, MJ, and many, many more Tuesday, um, there's always a meeting because that that service work is always taken seriously, and mm-hmm. we always have a place to go. I mean, I think that one of the coolest things I've learned about being in recovery is like that I have rough weather friends. You know what I mean? Um, and what I say by that is like I always have fair weather friends, people that would show up when the times were good. And like I will say that like Ozzy, and I'll say this: this is a true story. Like. He is a rough weather friend. Like, he did not come to my wedding, and I wanted him to come there. But when I was moving to Ohio, and I had nobody to move my stuff, like, he bought a, his he, he loaded up my car with me, and he drove that full 16 hours or whatever it was, and he bought his own plate, tip it back, and just to hang out, right? And, like, that kind of stuff is, like, you know what I mean? Or people that will show up for me. My, my mom got in a car accident um, a few years ago. She was totally okay, but she's, you know— older and um another friend of mine in recovery because i was driving in another part of the state he left work to go sit with my mom at the site of the accident in the snowstorm just so she felt safe right like that is like to me like that that stuff is like wow where did that come from that's a that's a family member (laughs) right yeah yeah Yeah. and my family is on here and i love them but you know um you got a bigger family well thank god because my family does i'm too much (laughs) <laughs> how, how many because i'm figuring it's a lot of years for you how many years do you have in your recovery now gosh this is gonna sound like a lie because of my recovery <laughs> but i got clean in november i got clean november 24th 2002 and it was the day before one or two days before Thanksgiving. I, I could feel like a lot of years coming from you man Really? Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Well, I mean, for one thing is how much like before we got in here, how much you joked with me okay. about your recovery. Like okay. you, I was, you were like, I was telling you about this program and you were like, oh, well, I was just getting high outside before oh. I came in here. And you mm. know, those are the kind of words you hear from somebody who's like not getting high outside before they came in. Right, right. You know, somebody who's really confident in where they are in their recovery. You know, on an average night on Gilpin, you'll have over a hundred years just off four or five people when you walk into that meeting. A hundred years just yeah, of, of recovery from, from five different people, huh? Yeah, five people in that room. And when you have conversations with these people and you share, and, and you know, there's a, there's a thing called a meeting after a meeting. Absolutely. And those are the best parts when you go have coffee and, and maybe have a meal and sit with people and get to know them because, you know, this is rough. Your first few days, your first few months, you yes. don't know where you're going. And if you don't got people that are, like he said, rough weather friends, but still kind enough, because I don't know how many village in dinners that I owe somebody and cigarettes and coffee and 
coming to pick me up and take me to meetings from my sober living, from out of my rehab, from wherever the hell I was living, just to make sure that I made it to a meeting. Um, you know, even just bus fare. Yeah. Um, it's, it's truly what people have no idea what the good parts of, of the 12-step community is about. Everybody thinks you're just going to sit in a meeting and regurgitate what you're hearing. If you're just sitting in a meeting regurgitating what you're hearing, you're really not doing step work and you're really not getting involved and you're really not getting into literature and you're really not doing what we do. I think you brought up a great point with, with um, when I got clean, they said make sure you stay for the meeting before and afterward. And for me, like I was talking about, when, we, when I got clean, there'd be like missionary people. Like I thought that these people were like just here to pump out literature and this is what you do and you walk this way and we wear suits and we go door to door and we make sure, you know, whatever. And um, it was like after the meeting when I go to like, I remember they had Mama's Cafe. It's where, it's now where um, some uh, Mexican restaurant is on Colfax across from Pete's Kitchen, right? And we'd sit there and um, it was a village inn for a while and it was an IHOP, but we'd sit there and for like hours after a meeting, right? And I'd, with people who had time, right? And I would hear them share and I'd be like, whoa, these people did some of the same stuff I did, right? But I didn't know that when they were in the meeting. I just thought they showed up and then they left. You know, I didn't know there were real people with real stories behind that. If you're new, like, it feels like I was here yesterday. I was getting clean. I remember those days. And so it says, like, I, it's easier to stay clean than it is to get clean. I think that, like, it's important to remember that. Like, it's really easy to give stuff away. Like, you can give this away by taking it for granted. So I, I always go to meetings. I, I need more meetings the older I get, right, and the longer I stay clean. But if you're new and you're like, I was not a first-time winner, and if you think that I just can't get this, I just can't get this, you know what? You will if you keep coming back, you know. And um, you guys, like, know too. Like, I mean, it's you come in here and you think, God, I'll never have that kind of time. But, you know, all of this started with one day. With fear in our heart and who are these people and I don't know, why are you hugging me so much and uh, dude, what do you want for real? You know, and, um, and, and look where we are. Like, this is crazy. Like, we're bringing a message on the radio and you've done all this stuff. I mean, yeah. how cool is that? You know what I mean? Like before, I would come here and I'd be like, "Man, how much I can get for these head microphones, <laughs> like these cameras?" Like I'm coming back later. And look, there's still Sony's. Like you remember the headphones? Yeah, Yo, Sony's. That was the that was the jam to still. Yeah, <laughs> probably still. Uh, is. I'm just not doing. I'm checking both of your pockets <laughs> the, when the this is over. That's Sorry. another thing. Just because you're clean doesn't mean you have recovery. So <laughs> we work the steps so we can not do stuff like that. That camera can fit in my pocket. <laughs> uh the door is that way guys thanks, <laughs> thanks for being here thanks, thanks. Uh, no uh aubrey thank you so much for coming in thank you for having me i i like i want to pay you guys for having me <laughs> <laughs> we can put the put the like, whoever respect whoever respect who asked this guy don't ask him again right now thank you um this is a different experience for sure if there's a, sure. somebody out there listening and they're still trying to find their recovery what do you say to them Go to a meeting. Yeah. Just find a meeting. Go to a meeting and just say, I need help. Really, that's like you said, keep coming back. Keep coming. That's the most profound thing. And even today, I just keep coming back. Mm-hmm. You know, like two days ago, I just found out I didn't get a job. And they said the reason I didn't get the job is because I didn't have any crate-carrying experience. Crate-carrying <laughs> experience. I'm like, what kind of a dumbass do I look like? I mean, you know what I mean? Are you looking for work right now? 
I think I got a job today. You think you, like, oh, today? Okay. Yes. Sweet. And I don't need Sweet. crepe carrying experience. But otherwise, I was going to say somebody out there has got to know where they're hiring and, what? you know, send a message over here and help Aubrey, you know. No, but if you do, if you do want to send me money, though, I um, <laughs> <laughs> definitely use that. Uh, Aubrey, thank you so much for coming on in, man. Uh, Tomas with Tribe Recovery Homes. Tell everybody how they can reach out to you guys. Definitely, definitely. I want to give a special shout out to um, my cousin Sterling that out there and the family that's struggling. We had a family member that passed away this afternoon. Bright soul, um, beautiful kid. You know, uh, we don't get wins every day, but I'm thankful I'm in recovery. I'm thankful that uh, I have you gentlemen next to me. And I know that I got support and anybody in my family needs that support. Just like this interview said, reach out and go to a meeting, go somewhere positive, do something because addiction is real and addiction will take your life when you don't want it to. There's not a person I think alive. Maybe I could be wrong, but I know when I've overdosed a few times, I was like, God, don't take me. I was, I was just playing. I was just playing, you know what I mean? And I, and I made, th- made it through it, and I woke up, and I couldn't believe it. And, you know, I was laying in that hospital bed, and I was okay. But, you know, um, those are just those things. But, um, yeah, the Tribe Recovery Homes um, had to take a pause out. You know, he's a amazing kid, amazing kid. But, yeah, Tribe Recovery Homes is a grassroots uh, organization. It was built for the same reason that I'm talking about, Um Ozzy is my business partner. He's also my my clinical director, and he was one of the people that was pinnacle in my life to create Tribe Recovery Homes. It's for the person that doesn't have a lot of options. It's for people that have judicial problems. It's for the people that are only afford Medicaid and possibly can I get a scholarship to get into sober living? Can I get a chance? And that's what Tribe Recovery Homes is. Um, not a lot of real swag that I'm going to be talking about today because I'm a little bit serious about things. But if you need help, call us at 720-608-7423. That's 720-60-TRIBE. Get on our online app, our online website, and that's www.triberecoveryhomes.com. And then just press apply here. And if we're not a fit for you, we're going to find a great partner that's out there. There's so many out there that we work with. And we're going to place you where you need to be. But if you need something now, there are apps. There are everything on social media. You can find it. Go find a meeting until you can get a hold of us the next day or whatever. Because I tell you what, I've been to a lot of rehabs in my life. (laughs) I've been to a lot more than I want to admit. But I know one that's always been consistent that always holding up my chair. And there's one that I can think of that's in a half hour, about five blocks away from right now. Ain't dead yet. (laughs) And I can go there for free and put a dollar in that seven tradition and get some recovery. And, um, yeah, just, uh, thanks so much recovery out there. Like there's every day. I mean, with cell phones now and yeah, meetings, you can go on, you can go on, uh, you can do this entertaining. Uh, What's, uh, what's on with 
that he has like a full three course meal and a cigar by the time you're done with the meeting. Oh, I forget. What that. <laughs> yeah, you really can. You can just walk, you can clean your house and, and walk around. And you don't have to see you. Exactly. You a meeting. You can get meetings all. That's what I did when it was COVID time. I would go to a convention in New York. It was funny doing a convention on Zoom. Yeah. Ever do that? Yeah. It's and recover. That's the thing about recovery. It's 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 it looks before you get here. It's like all the stuff you want to do in life. He's like, you like those pipe dreams. You get clean. That stuff is real. You know, it doesn't matter how old you are. If you're like 70 years old, like come in. Like there's, you never get a check and send it back because it's too late, right? So. Mahi, this has been sharing our stories. Our guest has been Audrey Aubrey. <laughs> I did it again. I knew it was coming too. Yeah. I knew it. You're using I knew an it. ace on that. I, right. I know. Like he said like a total, he said her name without a flaw. And she Producer Noni? Me. I mess it up every time. What's, wrong, what's, what's hard about her name? We're not even going to try it, man. We're not even going to try it. Our guest, Aubrey. <laughs> You're going to say Lavizzo? Lavizzo. <laughs> Aubrey Lavizzo from Denver. Um, if you want to find this program, you can find it on flowdenver.com and also on jammin1015.com. You can follow Tomas Hernandez on Facebook and watch it live on our Facebook live feed. And uh, once again, thank you to producer Dan. And we will be back on your radio Sunday morning, 7 a.m. Right here for sharing our stories. They're whispering. Are they whispering? We were whispering. <laughs> we were whispering. He was basically saying, y'all. He needed a job. He was going with crates. And me and Ozzy were sitting laughing about it. Like, man, we'd hire you in two seconds. You got a great recovery, man. And we just put him on the spot on Facebook on the air. Well, there we go. We already know where uh, so Aubrey. A job. <laughs> yeah, Aubrey's going, going to work. My boss. <laughs> Definitely not. Ozzy. Ozzy. <laughs> Ozzy. <laughs> Baha'i, have a great one. <laughs>